Welcome back to the Red Dice Diaries. I'm your host, John, and today we're going to be answering some more of your lovely voicemails. And first up, we have a voicemail from Jason at the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Take it away, Jason. Hey guys, Jason here. I've really enjoyed the last two episodes of the reinvigorated Purple Worm. Great to hear you guys back on the air. There's no doubt that Cerebrivore was created, you know, with a huge inspiration from Purple Worm. We're all very happy to hear you back. Uh, thank you for the kind shout out to my show and Cerebrivore. And I look forward to your future episodes. Thanks very much, Jason. Very much appreciated. And I should point out to people listening that Jason is referring to Purple Worm in the group podcast that Colin Green, aka spike pit pete from dragons are real and myself have recently started doing again on a sort of slightly more ad hoc basis because our schedules have changed and we can't keep up the sort of vast amount of episodes we were doing before but we always have great fun when we do those episodes so we really wanted to start it up again thank you very much jason i'm glad you enjoyed it and we're currently in the process of trying to organize dates for a third episode of this series and i should point out the reason why jason's voice mailing me here rather than to purple worm direct is there was a, an issue with anchor i know shocking doesn't really normally happen <coughs> where uh, voicemails briefly couldn't get through to the Purple Worm account. So Jason kindly sent the voicemail to me here at my Red Dice Diaries podcast account. But I think that's all sorted now. Anyway, thank you very much, Jason. We're glad you're enjoying it. We have a hell of a blast making those episodes, and we hope to carry on doing so into the future, our schedule allowing. Our next call is from Joe over at Hindsightless. Take it away, dude. Yo, John. So my initial thought when I saw the title of your latest episode, uh, which was something like, should monsters follow the same rules as the players? I was just screaming, of course they should, in my mind. And I was going to be like, I so disagree with you, John. But then after listening to you, <laughs> to me, it doesn't sound like you're talking about they should play by different rules. It sounds like you're talking about, like, you should reskin them or give them different abilities and stuff. You know, stuff that's still within the bounds of the game. Because, like, you mentioned vampires, for instance, and you talked about their ability to turn to mist. And that's that's an awesome vampire abilities. But, you know, a lot of versions of D&D, I don't know how long the spell has been in the game, but Gaseous Form is a spell that's been around for a minute. So, like, a vampire turning to mist isn't totally out of left field so long story short i totally agree with you anyway peace out thanks very much for the call in joe greatly appreciated yeah i suppose when i think about it i was mainly talking about re-skinning rules because as you said there's a lot of monster abilities that are replicatable through various spells and stuff like that and i suppose it depends on what you mean but like everything it depends on what you mean by the the terminology i suppose if you if you break it down to like should they be following the same basic framework of the rules which forms the the consistent sort of rules of reality as far as your game's concerned then i suppose yeah, they probably should adhere to that rather than going completely left field. But I do like it when there's a little bit of a tweak on that sort of thing. But I'm glad you enjoyed the episode, dude. And thank you very much for the call-in. Our next call-in is from Goblin's Henchman. Take it away. Hi, John. It's Goblin's Henchman here. Um, so I have a slightly, and it is very slightly, dinked copy of or print version of Face Folio. 
Um, if you're not too precious, I would be happy to send you it, uh, send you that as a free copy. Um, I don't know if you know, but I've re-kickstarted Facefolio, which is finishing on the 25th of August for Zine Quest 4. So if you were minded to, to do a review of it, um, then I would be grateful, but you don't have to. It's just, uh, you know, I have one that I'd, I, I'd rather, you know, give to someone rather than just like throw away. Um, so if you give me your postal address, if you're happy with that, obviously, if you're not, no problem. And I will post you a copy. You know, there's no conditions. You don't have to review it. Um, but if you do, that would be grand. Uh, if you can get back to me, obviously, I can post it off ASAP. Okay, cheers, fella. Bye. Now, this voicemail is a little bit on the older side, and I've actually already reviewed the, the face folio using an electronic copy that Goblin's Henchman was kind enough to send me, and I have responded to him. So you might say, well, why are you including this voicemail now, John, if you've already answered it and you've already done your review and all of that sort of shamozzle? Well, the reason I'm including it now is because... As Goblin's Henchman said, this Kickstarter is wrapping up on the 25th of August, which means as from the date of publication of this voicemail episode, you've only got four days left if you want to get on that Kickstarter. I'll put a link to my review in the description of this episode. But suffice to say, I thought it was a really useful book of character portraits that if you're maybe not artistically inclined or you want to just have a load of portraits in one place and you don't want to go digging through the internet for them and stuff like that, I thought it would be a really useful resource. And I highly recommend you give it a look on Kickstarter whilst you still have the opportunity. Next up, we have a few more calls from Jason over at the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Hey, John, just listening to your latest voicemail message. And yeah, Ron brings up some good points, but I, I guess my question is, and I know you can modify 5e to, by taking out essays, or you can lower the, you know, minimize the options or play the basic version or play these third-party products. But I guess my question would be, unless you have a group of players that are all only play 5e and, and refuse to play anything else, what's the advantage of of morphing 5e into something it's not as opposed to just playing a system designed for that you know if you want to play star wars yeah there's a 5e star wars hack out there but there's also what was a hyperspace d6 you know if, if you're playing i i do i guess i don't see the advantage of using 5e to do one of these other genres when there are purpose-built games out there for those other genres that's just me i don't know i mean why use 5e for space when there's so many great space games out there you know why would you use 5e to play a horror mystery game not that you can't do mystery and fantasy that's been proven you can but why not use Call of Cthulhu or you, you you know what I mean I, I I guess I don't see the advantage of using 5e over a system designed to do that genre just me yeah I mean I think you make an interesting point there Jason and I think I've often referred to this previously you know as you know in the OSR sort of sphere house ruling and bringing in your own rules and creating your own stuff for your games is a big thing but i've often wondered you know at what point are you no longer house ruling the game and you're effectively creating an entirely new game just using the framework of the old one and it's a difficult question to answer and i've never come up with a satisfactory answer yet myself where 
because I think if you're just house rolling a few bits and pieces into your old game, that makes a lot of sense. That's absolutely great. Crack on. Whereas if you get to the point where you're effectively like entirely remaking the game and you're trying to sort of bend it into the shape of something that it's really not meant for or doesn't do maybe to the best of its abilities, although I know that's subjective, then as you say, it seems like you'd be better off picking up a game that specifically does what you want in the first place or is nearer to it because then you only have to alter it by a little bit rather than effectively reworking an entire system however having recently spent an evening creating characters ready for my next campaign which is a bit of a break from DD, we fancied doing something different after smoke and snow we're doing vampire the masquerade fifth edition and having a couple of players who were not familiar with it, a couple of players who were familiar with the older rules and stuff like that, and me still sort of learning these newer versions of the rules, although I have a lot of experience with previous editions, I've got to admit, if I'd have had the option to rework that for a system that we were all more familiar with, I probably would have done so because it would have saved us a lot of time when it came to actually character genning and play. And that's no shade on any of my players. We took a very sort of slow, sort of steady pace through the character gen just to familiarise ourselves with it, ask a few questions, make sure everyone felt comfortable. But I don't know whether it's me getting to be a bit lazy in my old age or something like that, but I find that my enthusiasm for learning entirely new systems has greatly diminished over the years. And I don't really have that excitement of like, oh, right, I'm going to get into this system and find out what works. Now I'm just like, oh, it's, it's something else I've got to remember. Whereas I'd rather, for me, be getting to the interesting bit of designing the campaign world, chatting to the players about their characters and what they're excited about with the game and the stuff like that. Maybe that's just me, though. Hey, John, just listen to should PCs and monsters follow the same rules? And I definitely am fine with them not. I think it's fine to adjust monsters, not use the ones straight out of the monster manual or, you know, whatever monster book you have with your game. Like vampires, you do, and I've talked before about this, you, you know, like Captain Credit's Vampire Hunter, you know, one of the conceits of that movie is different vampires have different weaknesses and different effects. So if you haven't watched that yet, I'm waiting for you and Hannah to watch it. It's an old Hammer film. Carolyn Monroe, check it out. Uh, Caroline Monroe. Um, but yeah, I definitely don't have a, an issue with changing stats up for the monsters or even bending the rules for the monsters. Now, you have to be careful that you're not doing adversarial play, right? You can play as an adversary, meaning you're playing your villain smart, but you don't want to be playing against the players. But I think there are times it's okay to have a monster do something that would break the rules. Now, you need to be careful, like I say, you need to be careful with this. But we see this all the time in, like, first edition, you know, AD&D. There's t every, not every, but you go through the AD&D monster manual, and there are tons of monsters that have abilities that just break the rules, whether they're abilities like they, like bear-hugging the character or tentacles to grab the character, ignore armor class, stuff like that. So. Yeah, absolutely right, Jason. I do think it's okay for monsters to sort of bend or break the rules. And I think this voice message is a great companion to the one from Joe over at Hindsightless that we featured at the start of this episode, 
where Joe's saying that he thinks, oh, you know, the, the monsters need to follow the rules because the rules are effectively like the laws of physics or the sort of laws of reality for your campaign world. And I think he has a strong point, as I said earlier. However, as Jason has just said, sometimes it's all right to bend or break those rules as long as you're careful about how you do it. A monster having a weird or sort of strange ability isn't going to sort of fracture the laws of reality in your campaign world however if every monster is consistently breaking the rules that's when it becomes difficult for the player characters to make informed decisions based on the rules of reality in your campaign world because so much stuff seems to be immune to them or they don't apply to them so i do think you have to be careful but occasionally it's all right to bend or sort of fracture let's say those rules if it results in a more interesting monster and encounter jason here just listen to picaro the story of DD. i have not i don't know knock three i haven't read james's article but i i will say maybe that was somebody's original intent that's never how the game was universally played the low-level Warhammer Fantasy thing, I think, was played that way more in Warhammer Fantasy ever than D&D. Listen to some of the old stories of Gary, the shenanigans Gary's characters got into. Listen to, I mean, look at the early things. I mean, look at Arduin. Look at, you know, there's super crazy high-powered stuff going on. Um, Tim Cask talks about this on his, um, whatever it is, Grognard in the Cellar or whatever his um, think curmudgeon in the se- Cellar, YouTube channel where he answers questions and talks about the old days where before AD&D, what was the supplement in OD&D? Gods, heroes, and superheroes or something like that. Um, they had deities in there. And he's like, and he, they had got somebody wrote into him like, oh, our characters have already killed Odin and Thor and all these. What do we do now? And, you, you know, I mean, this all was happening back then. So, you know, maybe James and his group played low-level rogues in their games but that was not the universal experience ever, ever in D&D. There have always been people doing superhero play in D&D. So I think that's a misconception. I think you raise an interesting point, Jason. I don't know whether it's a misconception. Uh, I wonder whether it's maybe a difference in how D&D was played in different locations. Because I certainly know myself when I was playing a bit of D&D when I first started back in the UK, very much the the sort of low-level adventurers slogging through the sewers trying to sort of like hunt rats and find goblins and stuff like that the sort of down and dirty fantasy that i've talked about as one of my preferences was very much the the sort of default game that we played and that's one of the reasons why i enjoy it so much now because it's got a little bit of that nostalgia attached to it and perhaps that was simply the influence of warhammer fantasy role play and uh, advanced fighting fantasy and stuff like that on the rpg scene here in the uk i honestly don't know i don't know enough about the history i can only talk about my personal experience but maybe that was the case for where james grew up as well whereas perhaps it was different in america i honestly don't know but it's definitely something interesting to think about whether when dnd first came in how it was taken and adapted by people and how it was ran by people was different depending on their location and the influences of fantasy that they had when they were growing up 
in their particular area so thanks for bringing that up jason it's definitely something that's got me thinking next up we have a call from randy over at biggest geekers go ahead dude john this is randy from biggest geekers long time no comments i am listening but i just listened to your episode on monsters following the same rules as uh, player characters and i 100 percent agree they should not do that i had the some similar experiences near the end of our pathfinder 3.5 uh you know era of play um it became tedious to create uh monsters that had uh follow the same rules even in the monster manual it got annoying you know you'd do a skill had to allocate skill points for every single skill that the monster could possibly have and i just got tired of it so i would write i would look at their skills in the book or think of what, what i want them to be and i would give them a skill number i would just say skill plus eight and any skill that i thought they should have they'd have plus eight and if it was something they didn't have access to i might just give them a plus two i'd make that decision i'd give them hit points and hit dice that were appropriate for the characters that i were fighting or that i wanted the challenge to be thanks very much joe yeah it does seem this subject about monsters following the same rules has really struck a chord with people and it's definitely something interesting which obviously why i made the original episode on it and i think for me because the the sort of old D clones that i follow tend to have a few less sort of explicit rules in them it's easier as far as i'm concerned to just sort of freestyle stuff for monsters whereas i think as there became more and more sort of systems as the DD editions went on it very much became a case of you had to sort of build these monsters using the system provided or that was the expectation i'm sure you could probably ignore that even with things like 3.5 and pathfinder but i think the default assumption was as you were saying you'd use the rules the feats uh, the various powers etc to create those monsters and they would stick to those rules which i can see the logic of as joe from hindsight has said earlier and as we've referenced a few times in this episode you know it makes sure that the monsters follow the same sort of laws of reality that exist for the campaign world so i can see the benefits of it but also i think if used judiciously as both yourself and jason at nerds rpg variety cast have said having occasional monsters that do something a bit out of left field or that sort of break those rules can be quite scary for the player characters and also quite interesting and create some tension in the game keep up the good work bud we need to have you on biggest gigas badly so let's uh, start chatting about when we can uh, maybe get together so keep up the good work take care man bye yeah dude i would love to be on biggest geekers at some point although i might have to book a day off work uh, to make the american times because you guys tend to be on very very early in the morning by my sort of time zone which unfortunately is why i can only catch the odd sort of live broadcast on youtube every now and again when i just happen to have a day off work that syncs with you guys broadcasting which doesn't seem to happen very often unfortunately but yeah i would love to be on biggest geekers if we can work out a time that suits all of us so give me a shout and we'll start discussing that and hopefully we can do something with that in the future so we're going to round off with a final call from jason at nerds rpg variety cast hey john jason here i don't think you're a snob i think once you can afford it when you get to a certain point in life you deserve and you it makes sense to buy a higher quality book or a higher quality thing 
you know, are you a snob if you want to eat off regular plates instead of flimsy paper plates? If you want to use steel utensils instead of plastic utensils? Now, if you want to eat off of gold-plated utensils, you might be a snob, right? Well, it's the same thing with books. You know, I back fewer and fewer Kickstarters these days, but when I do, the deciding factor if I get a physical copy is if the book is offset and well-printed or if it's print-on-demand from Drive-ThruRPG. If it's print-on-demand, I won't get the physical copy because I know the quality is questionable. But if it's a real book, then I'll probably get it. That's why I've got physical copies of Kevin Crawford stuff recently. Anyhow, I wouldn't beat yourself up for wanting a slightly higher quality grade of thing. I think that's A-OK. Thanks very much, dude. That was Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast responding to our recent episode where I was pondering the question of, am I a book snob? I think by and large, you're right, Jason. You know, when you when you sort of become a little bit more selective about what you're buying, when you do buy it, you want it to be of good quality. So it's going to last. It's not going to fall to pieces. And whilst I... I don't discount stuff that's print on demand like you seem to be suggesting that you do there you know presumably you just get the electronic copy I don't mind stuff on print on demand so much because um, I think it's got a lot better nowadays than it used to be the the main thing for me at the moment with whether I get a physical copy is that old devil postage and packaging which is getting pretty ridiculous now particularly with like some kickstarters and things like that depending on where they're being produced and one of the main things that tends to determine whether I get a physical copy or not now is Basically, if the postage and packaging is going to cost me almost as much as the actual product itself, and this can be particularly bad with things like zines, then I will tend to just get the electronic copy because I'm, I'm not paying effectively twice the amount just because of postage and packaging. However, if the postage and packaging isn't ridiculous and there's a chance of getting an offset book, which is obviously going to be a better quality then i will go for that if print on demand is the only option and it's a book i'm likely to reference a lot or use a lot then i don't mind so much going for a print on demand copy although if it's a book i'm only going to read occasionally or reference occasionally then i'll probably just stick to the pdf so there we are for this episode all that remains is to thank our callers, Jason, Nerds RPG Variety Cast, Randy at Biggest Geekers, Joe over at the Hindsightless Podcast, and of course, the man, the myth, the legend, Goblins Henchman. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you want to get your questions answered, have a bit of a chat about RPGs or any previous episodes we've done, and maybe get featured in a future audio episode on the podcast then you can get in touch with us a number of different ways you can drop us a voicemail using either speakpipe or anchor link in the description down below or you can send us an email to rddrpgpodcast at gmail.com so until we see you again take care stay safe and whatever you're playing have fun 